0: Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, today we do ask that you would be our vision. Lord, we have just sung that you are our treasure. And yet, Father, as we look back on this past week, we readily confess that we treasured other things more than you. Father, our hearts are so fickle and so prone to find our treasure in almost anything else but you. And so, Father, today we ask that as we look to your word, that your spirit would fill our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, with the vision of who you are. And that as we see you for who you are, Father, today, that we would treasure you all the more. That you would truly be our treasure in all things. Father, work in our midst by your spirit today. We pray this in Christ's precious name, pleading his blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Zephaniah chapter three. Zephaniah chapter three. We we may, Lord willing, finish Zephaniah this morning. And I know what you're all thinking. I've heard that before, so we'll see how we we'll see how we do we've been looking again at how the prophets are calling us or the prophets are used by God to break up or till up the soil of our souls. And Again, the, the imagery there that we see in um, Isaiah and Jeremiah of the hardened soil is that of a hardened heart. And truly, it is, it is true that our hearts can be hard to the things of the Lord, and yet God uses His Word... As that sharp two-edged sword, he uses it as a hammer to break up and mold the ground of our souls so that and our hearts so that, that the Word of God can come in and bear fruit in our lives. And we've been looking at this first, again, we're looking at the last four prophets of the Old Testament and the first of these last four, at least as they are in our canon, we're looking at Zephaniah. And we've been discussing how Zephaniah is both a prophet of wrath and rejoicing. And really the first two and a half chapters of this prophecy are filled with judgment, filled with condemnation, filled with a description of God's wrath on sin. But then there's a turn that comes, and we saw that turn as we began in verse 9 of chapter 3, of the joy that Yahweh that the Lord brings to his people, and that joy is found in him changing them, purifying them. And now we're looking at the response to that change that Zephaniah calls us to in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, as we're seeing how we now have reasons for worship. So look with me again in Zephaniah chapter 3, we'll look at verses 14 through 20, and then Lord willing, we'll finish up looking at verses 15 through through 20 this week. Last week, we focused really uh, primarily on verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, He will quiet you by His love, He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So we looked at last week how verse 14 calls us to worship the Lord with jubilation, to have uh, expressive, strong, bold praise before Him. And we saw all how that worship is to be evident in the words that he uses. Sing aloud, shout, um, exalt with all your heart. That that worship that is intense and is loud and is bold is also coming from a heart that enjoys the things that God has done. We're to do this with all of our heart. And that this worship is based upon the relationship we have with our God as his people, as we see the references to the daughter of Zion, to Jerusalem. Well, now that there's this command that Zephaniah gives, rejoice, shout, sing aloud to these people, he gives now the reasons for that worship. And the first thing we see is that we're to worship the Lord, we're to lift up our voices, we're to rejoice loudly because God delivers us with his presence. God delivers us with his presence. We see this in verse 15 that sort of drives to a climax. The king of Israel, the Lord, is where? In your midst, Zephaniah speaks of. Now the first thing we have to recognize is the presence of God comes to those who are made pure. Again, notice what he says in verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. The first reason for this jubilant worship that God gives is that God has made pure His people. And again, this, this looks back to what happens in verse 9 where God changes the speech of the people to a pure speech. He does this so that they may all call upon the name of the Lord. And so there's this purifying effect that God has had in redeeming and saving His people. It changes them now so that now God no longer stands afar off. God no longer even sends these nations to come and to discipline Israel. But rather, God comes to His people. He comes to dwell within their midst. As He delivers the uncleanness brought upon them by their sin, He now comes to dwell with them. We must recognize that the only way, the only way we can have and know relationship with the Lord, the only way we can grow to experience his presence in our lives is found, not by looking to our own cleansing. The the Jewish law, the Old Testament law, had a number of of different requirements and laws given that people were meant to do to ritually cleanse themselves. In fact, our scripture reading the last couple weeks has been focused on how the Pharisees were rebuking Jesus and his disciples because they didn't wash their hands just the right way. Of course, we we had a a little preview of that in the last couple years where sort of the whole thing with COVID was wash your hands. You know, you remember that? But these were looking at this and they're saying, you're not doing it this way. You're not cleansing yourself perfectly. You're not doing exactly what we as the Pharisees are saying you should do. And and Christ pointed out that they're calling them to do that which is based upon the traditions of men. And what the law shows us, what our own uh, efforts to cleanse ourselves show us is that we cannot do it. No matter how hard we try to cleanse ourselves, we will always end up with the stain of sin. But when God cleanses us, when He changes our hearts so that out of the abundance of our hearts we speak that which is pure speech, it is a cleansing that is effective. And that is what gives us the wonderful hope that our God comes and dwells With those who are made pure. The psalmist speaks of this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? Who does God dwell with? He who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up His soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. It's interesting, the interplay even in this psalm, that that the focus is not upon the person cleansing his hands and purifying his heart, but it is the God of His salvation that produces this within him. And so we hear in Psalm 24, we hear the echo of Psalm 24 here in Zephaniah where he points to this wonderful hope that the King is in your midst because we've been made pure. But what does God's presence bring to us? And that's the second thing we see is that God's presence brings hope. God's presence brings hope. Hope. We're going to see several different things that point to the hope that we have. And all of these things are rooted in that reality that we have God with us. We just celebrated the Christmas season. And at Christmas, we, we read over and over again those descriptions of who Christ is. And, and we read um, that He shall be called What? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The great hope of salvation in Christ is a restoration of His abiding presence with His people. And everything else in our lives flows from Him being with us. Will we look to The eternal state, what is it that makes heaven, heaven? It's not the pearly gates. It's not the golden streets. It's not even the removal of pain or suffering. It is that the Lord is there. That is the great focus of eternity. And so our hope, both for this life and for all eternity, rests in the presence of God coming to His people. Again, notice in verse 15, The first thing that he points us to as God takes away our judgments, clears away our enemies, as he comes and is in our midst, the king is with us. The first thing that it results in is you shall never again, what? Fear evil. The presence of Christ brings hope from fear. Because the king is here. Because the one who is able to rule and to reign and to accomplish his will, he is here that frees us from fear. Now this is a theme all throughout Scripture. It's scattered on on many, many pages of the Scriptures. And and one of the most well-known passages in Scripture is the 23rd Psalm. What does the 23rd Psalm tell us? That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear fear. How much evil? No evil. Why? Because you are what? With me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a wonderful hope in the reality that our God is a God who protects the sheep. He is a king, but he is also a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he lovingly corrects us, brings us back into the fold. And with the staff, He also drives away the things that threaten us. His presence is hope from fear. Psalmist again in Psalm 118.6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? I mean, if we were to really grasp the focus of this verse, and if this is the true reality of our lives, that the presence of God is with us, that we, are, we have Him with us because we are in Christ, then He is on our side. And who would you rather have on your side? All the riches and wealth and fame and power of this world or Christ? Because all the riches and power and fame and abilities of this world hold not even the closest candle to what the power that we have in Christ. And he's on your side. I, I think about this sort of like tug of war. I remember uh, growing up as a teen, we used to go to a camp in uh, Brevard, North Carolina, and they, they would sometimes have tug of war. Um, there was also a group that would come around. Uh, and they would do sort of a, a youth activity, t- like crusade, and, um, and they, would, they would have a, a mud pit, and they'd do the, the tug of war over the mud pit. And, and I remember I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, when I was a kid, I'm like, this is, this is great. And I knew that our team would always win because we had a really strong and a really big guy that would sit on the end of that. And as no matter how hard someone would pull on the other side, we knew that we were probably going to win because all this other guy had to do really was just sort of pull and sit down and everybody else would be pulled the other way. We had someone on our side who was able to push and pull against those trying to bring us the wrong way. We have that in our God. He's with us and on our side. Now what does this practically look like in Hebrews? The writer of Hebrews tells us, keep your life free from what? Loving money. Be content with what you have. Now, why should we not seek covetousness? And why should, we, why should we not love money? Why should we be content? Because what do we have? Notice what he says. He has said, I will what? Never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, and then he quotes that psalm, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And as I alluded to, this is the great hope of eternity. The end of the Bible, Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And then here's the hope of God dwelling with his people. Nothing unclean will enter this city, nothing, no, nor anyone detestable, or does that which is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, the view that Zephaniah points us to, the view that he looks at, is that this great hope is found in the King living with His people. So it's good and helpful for us to focus on this truth as we walk and live in a sin-cursed world. The reality is we face all sorts of fearful things in this world. How are we to face a place that still languishes under evil? And let's just be honest here. The evil of this world is immense. It is immense. There are horrors happening in places all over this world that we can't even fathom or imagine. And we all face problems and difficulties. People treat us wrongly. People make mistakes. People harm us and hurt us. There is evil all around. We look to our government, and it's replete with corruption. We look even to our religious leaders, and there's corruption there. In fact, these are two things that Zephaniah himself points out as causes of God's judgment on his people. Evil is everywhere. And so what are we to do? How are we to face this world that we do not belong in? And the answer is realize and look to and hope in the presence of the Lord with you so that you fear no evil. Again, in Hebrews thirteen five through 6, again, the, the author of Hebrews here is not simply seeking to ground our hope in a future reality, but in a present truth. Why are we to be content? Because now we have this promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. God is with us. He's purified us and changed us. He's cleansed us with the blood of the Lamb and so now He comes and lives with us as we walk through this life. Listen, this idea of God's presence with us, it's not an ethereal concept. It's not just a a sort of Mystical idea. It is a life-changing principle if you really catch on to it. If God is with us, He is our helper. Notice what Jesus says in John 14. He's going to send who? The helper, the comforter. The Greek word there is paraclete. The one who comes across, comes alongside and bears up under with us, and this is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He'll teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. And then Jesus makes this statement: What does He leave with us? What does He leave with us? Peace. Not turmoil, not fear, but peace. Where does that peace proceed from? His presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the peace we get is not like the peace the world gives. And so the response then from this wonderful gift that Christ gives to all who turn to Him is our hearts are not to be troubled. Neither are we to let them be what? Afraid. In John 14, earlier, Jesus makes the statement, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home where? With him. You know, I think sometimes you know, we look at our homes as sort of the refuge from all the pressures of life. You know, it's, it's always good to come home. Walk in the door, and this is a place that's safe. It's a place where you're comforted. It's a place where you have the love of family. And what God promises, what Christ promises, is that our home is found with the Father. He is at home with us. As Paul Writes in this present reality that according to the riches of his glory, you may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. We need not fear evil now or in eternity because God. Promise his his presence with his people. I think a great example of this is found in Second Chronicles. We have Sennacherib coming up against Israel, up against Judah in particular, and laying siege to Jerusalem. Hezekiah is the king at this time, and Sennacherib is a powerful foe. He's taken and and cut off the heads of kings. He's laid them at the feet of other kings and caused them to come and 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 to swear allegiance and fealty to him. And here he is, this impressive force coming against Jerusalem, which is, at this point, not really a big military power. Sure, there were great days in the time of Solomon, but now the nation has been fractured. Now Jerusalem is... A small, tiny little city, and here we have the giant of Sennacherib coming. And the people of Jerusalem are fearful. there's the siege being brought against them, and their hearts are, are shaking, their hearts are worried. And Hezekiah comes and, and speaks these words to them. He sets combat commanders over the people, He gathers them together into the square at the gate of the city and spoke. Encouragingly to them. Don't we need encouragement in this life? And here's Hezekiah at one of the most desperate situations, and he is coming to speak encouragingly to the people. And what does he say to them? Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria. And all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. What do you mean there's more with us than with him? With him is the arm of flesh. Boy, he's got a powerful army. He's got the the gears of war. He's got the power that looks like it will completely wipe Jerusalem off the face. So how can Hezekiah say that there is more with us than with him? Look at the difference. But... With us is Yahweh, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. This same confidence is what we see in Zephaniah verse, chapter three, verse 15. The king is in your midst. The King is with you. I don't know what you're facing here today. I don't know what fears fill your minds. I do know that most likely you have them. It can be any number of circumstances that you're facing right now. It could be something that you're facing in the future. It could maybe just be the effects of something that has happened in the the past. And fear is gripping you. And the message that Zephaniah gives to those whom the Lord delivers is that He gives His presence to you. The Lord is with you. The King is in your midst so you shall never again fear evil. If we were to truly grasp this truth, I think many of the anxieties and difficulties that we face on a daily basis would melt away because our God never fails. So the presence of God brings hope and it first brings hope from fear. But secondly, in verse 16, we see that that hope also strengthens us. We have hope through strength. Look at verse 16. On that day, all right, and then this is the day when God rises up to, to cleanse his people, to, to grasp a hold of them and to purify them. On that day, he said, It will be said to Jerusalem, and there's the emphasis again: fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. When we have God's presence, we have a God who strengthens us for the task He sets us to do. I think many times we do see the the pressures of life outside of us, but oftentimes it is the pressure from within. Our inabilities, our shortcomings, our failures, our lack of resources that cause us to fear. And again, the message is fear not. Why? Because God strengthens your hands. The Christian life is arduous and difficult. And while we have all these external pressures and difficulties from life, then we, we realize that God calls us to live a holy life, a life that is different than the world around us, to be holy like He is holy. And then what do we do when we walk out of these doors and we go out of our homes? Temptation immediately grips us. We can even be sitting in the comfort of our homes and our minds can wander into temptation so easily. Let's just be honest. We are all so weak. We're all so weak. And our hands can easily become weary, as Zephaniah speaks of here. But again, the Lord's presence not only drives away fear, it also strengthens us for the task He has for us. Listen, I think one of the reasons why we find the Christian life so difficult and oftentimes why people fall away from the faith and and turn away from the Lord is because they seek to live it in their own strength. And when you do that, when, when you look to yourself as the source of strength for this Christian walk, you're going to fail every single time because we are not sufficient for these things but our Christ is and his presence is with us to guide and direct us Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 finally as Paul is closing the book of Ephesians he says finally be strong where in the lord and in the strength of his might you, you ever seen um a a bodybuilder who's like really like just just really really ripped and sometimes people will say he's got muscles on top of his muscles right that guy's muscles have muscles that's sort of what's being emphasized here by paul the power of his might that that god's might is strong And we, as he's going to call us now to recognize that there's an enemy, he's firing flaming darts against us, he's coming to get us. I mean, all these different pressures and things are coming upon us. And Paul says, look, God has more than enough power to deal with this. Has he not demonstrated his strength in raising his son from the dead? And we have that strength now. Paul himself would describe how his own life was filled with difficulty. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, he writes, you know, Listen, I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced. And this, Now, this is Paul speaking. And what I, what I love about Scripture is how honest it is with the lives of the people it describes. I'm sure that there have been many times that you maybe have felt like Paul here when he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I'm sure there have been times in your life where you felt that way. What does Paul say? He says, instead... Um, Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. Paul is looking at the difficulties he's facing, and he says, I don't see anything good. The only thing good for me is to die and go away. But that intense pressure was given to show Paul something. Notice what he says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves. Listen, you're going to feel and despair for life itself if you rely on yourself. But rather, God uses those things not to drive us away from Him, but to drive us towards Him. So that what Paul says, so that I would not rely on myself, but on God, and then here He is. He's the one who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Paul is describing here a principle, the principle that that, uh, Zephaniah is alluding to in verse 16, that his, his weakness is strengthened by the Lord. So that when we recognize that we are weak, that is when God is strong in our lives. And so when God comes and brings His presence to His people, He brings a presence that gives hope from fear, and He brings a presence that gives us strength. I don't know what lies around the corner for you tomorrow. Maybe you have some idea. I don't know what's going to happen two weeks, ten weeks from now. You read the headlines, and, and it seems like we're on the brink of all sorts of terrible things that are about to happen. I will say that the media has a tendency of making money off of making things sound a lot worse than they really are. But you know what? Even if things are as bad as the media says they are, does that change who our God is? We have a God who strengthens us with all strength according to His great might. So look to Him. Find your hope in him. His strength is enough. And he brings that strength by coming and living with his people. The final thing we see that Zephaniah points to is that there is hope from shame. We'll skip over verse 17 for the time being, and we'll look at verse 18. Zephaniah says, or the Lord says through Zephaniah, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. What Zephaniah describes here is likely a reference to the disruption of, of the ebb and flow in what was considered some, part of the, the essential parts of what it was to be a member of God's people, Israel. Israel had, uh, in Leviticus 23, described seven different festivals that Israel was to celebrate. On a yearly basis, year in and year out, they would come to these festivals. And these were times of, of breaks for Israel. They would come and, and they, would, they would literally, as they're walking to Jerusalem to celebrate what God has done, there would be shouts and, and festal songs. There would be dancing in the streets. There would be joyous occasions. And it was a time to, to rejoice in and to reflect upon the provision and care that God had given for His people, the prosperity, the blessings that He would given them. And they would come and they would worship before the Lord. It was a great time. For these people. But what we find is we come to this time here. As Israel has rebelled against the Lord. The nation is fractured and split. The northern kingdom is taken captive. And and now no longer is there a flood of of revelers and, and festival goers coming from the north. But rather they've been taken into other nations and countries. Judah. The semblance of what was Israel continues to be, but it is just a shell of what it formerly was. And so because of both the people's hardened heart and God's discipline that came to them, the festivals had disappeared. Jeremiah laments this. Lamentations 1 3 through 4. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her uh, distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly Jeremiah goes on in chapter 2 to describe how how the Lord has laid waste to his booth like a garden he's laid it in ruins his meeting place he's made Zion to forget festival and sabbath and in his fierce indignation has spurned both king and priest Their situation became so broken, it almost felt inappropriate to rejoice and to have a festival. But what Zephaniah describes here is the restoration of God's people so that they can now come and rejoice. Rather than a reproach coming upon them for rejoicing and and enjoying the festival, they can do so without any shame. I gather those of you who are mourning for the festival and I make it so that you no longer have to suffer that reproach. You can rejoice in me through the salvation I bring. There's a full restoration that God brings in bringing His presence. And so they can now return to the festival with shouts of joy. In fact, some have said that these last verses of Zephaniah are meant to be a song that would be sung at the festival. And so there's there's wonderful hope. That we can have. The psalmist describes the the redemption that God brings to His people. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. There's no profit in my death. If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. And then notice what God does. You have turned for me my mourning into what? Dancing, you've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you. How long? Forever. I'd just like to again point out something that we touched on last week. Is this sort of a reserved praise that the psalmist is speaking of here? No, he will not be silent when he praises God for the deliverance he's brought. Jeremiah sees this in Jeremiah 31, verses 11 through 14. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden. They shall no longer languish. Then shall young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. That last phrase is both a wonderful hope and a convicting statement. Because how often do we find ourselves needing something more to be satisfied beyond the goodness of the Lord? Is our God not enough? Is His presence not enough? And so Zephaniah reminds Israel that there is great hope in the presence of the Lord coming to His people so that they no longer suffer reproach, so that they no longer fear evil, so that they are strengthened by his presence. And the final thing that God brings as he delivers with his presence is he brings joy. He brings joy. Look again at verse 17. It's interesting the shift of focus here on who it is that is rejoicing. The Lord your God is in your midst. So again, an emphasis on the presence of God with His people. And when God is in your midst, you have someone who is a mighty one who will save. Alright, those two statements. The Lord dwelling with us and His salvation brought by His hand. Isn't that enough, right? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! But Zephaniah goes further. What is God doing in the midst of His people? And it's remarkable. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Again, when we recognize the hope that Christ brings, it allows us to truly rejoice. That's why, again, in verse 14, Zephaniah calls on us to rejoice and exalt with all our heart. But God also rejoices over His restoration of us. He sings over His people. He is one Who rejoices over us with gladness. What he does is is he comes and we become his joy. We are the apple of his eye. He comes and he quiets us by his love. Romans chapter 8, Paul describes all the distresses and problems and difficulties of this life. Nakedness, peril, famine, sore, distress, even death. And you know what his response in all of that is? He says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Listen, if you're in the midst of turmoil and difficulty, if your life is struggling and you are pressed on by every side, there is one thing you can find that will quiet your heart in those distressing times, and that is that Jesus loves you. A simple song that kids sing provides immense truth for your everyday life. And then He is one who exalts over us with loud singing. Truly, this becomes a wellspring of joy for our hearts. And I think how often are we like the woman that Jesus met at that well? This woman comes and she's coming. There's, I'm not going to preach another sermon. Don't worry. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it truly shows who Jesus is and what he comes to do. This woman had tried everything to make herself happy, and she wasn't. And in an encounter of a well, Jesus just looks at her and says, look, can you give me, can you give me some, something to drink? And, and the woman's like, what are you doing this? And, and he's like, well, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would ask him to give you something to drink. And he says, everyone who drinks of this water, the water of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And God delights to give us that wonderful hope. There's a wonder here in the transformative work of God for His people. He turns away shame and reproach that sin brings, and He fully restores us. He lifts up drooping hands that are weary from the difficulties of this world. He drives away our fear of evil. Why? Because He's with us. He's in our midst. The King. The Lord is in your midst. How we need to draw upon this truth every single day. We need this. And if you don't have this, this world will chew you up and spit you out. But when you realize you have the Lord on your side, the Lord is your helper, you no longer need to fear. What can man do to us? I love the words of Jesus in John 14, 18. As he is describing to his disciples how he's going to go away. But he says this, he gives them this promise. I will not leave you As what? Orphans. I won't leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you to walk the difficulties of this life alone. I will, what? Come to you. Jesus never leaves us alone. He always comes to us. I think at times in this sin-sick world, we can feel like orphans. Who do we have to turn to? After all, we are not at home in this world, right? Remember our study of First and 2 Peter? We're strangers and foreigners. We're pilgrims. We don't belong here. And in many ways, that can make us feel like an orphan. We don't belong. But we have the Spirit. We have the presence of Christ mediated through the Spirit. And this is brings us immense deliverance. It brings us continual hope. So what must we do? Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. On that day, he says, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. God's taken away your judgments. He's cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Should this not drive us to worship our King with all that we are? What a wonderful hope we have. Worship the Lord who delivers us with His presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Oh, Lord, we thank You for the hope we have in Christ our King and that He is with us always. Father, today we ask that this truth would guide and direct us. It would become a controlling principle of our lives so that we would recognize that we have hope in your presence with us, and that we should respond to that hope by jubilantly, exuberantly, boldly praising your name. We pray this all in Christ's name.